you are listening to Give Grief a Chance, and I'm your host and advanced grief recovery specialist, Diane Morgan. And these podcasts are all about bringing grief awareness out into the world, because even today, my friends, grief is hidden and it's tucked away. So come along and join me on this journey. Let's start to bring grief out into the open and maybe you'll be brave enough to give your grief a voice. This is episode 175. Hello to all of my lovely podcast listeners and welcome to this week's episode. I hope that you're all doing really well and as always I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who takes the time to listen to these podcasts and I'd like to remind you about my new journals. Um, Yes there's two of them, one is called Giving Grief a Voice and this is a beautiful gift that can help guide you through your grief and look at life after loss. And the second one is called Remembering Queen Elizabeth. And that one is a guided grief and remembrance journal, which will help to move you through your grief while holding those special memories of the Queen. And you can find them both on Amazon. So this week, I'm having a good old blether with Rona Barton again. Now, We've had a, done a podcast together before and Rona specialises in coaching women living with or who've recently been diagnosed with ME, which is myalgic encephalomyelitis. I think that's how you say it. Um, and, you know, there were a few questions that I really wanted to ask Rona and find out more about ME because she lived with it for almost 10 years and she was bedbound and in a wheelchair and she came through it and out the other side. So without further ado, let's have a blether with Rona. Hello Rona, here we are again to blether again. Yay, fantastic. Hi. Leather together, we do like it. That's right. <laughs> How's everything? Yeah, not bad, thanks. It feels like a busy month since we last spoke because so much seems to have happened. Um, but good. I'm very well, thank you. What about you? Everything's good. No complaints this end. Excellent. Not at all. Yeah. But, you know, I have my first question for you, actually, because I want to know, is Emmy is, is, is it known as... Um, chronic fatigue syndrome or or is that part of the diagnosis so it certainly can be the, there's quite a a number of umbrella terms if you like that uh, that get used but when we talk about me you usually see it written as me forward slash cfs so myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome um, because the the terms have over the years become interchangeable, but they actually are two distinct um, conditions. So with ME, you usually have to have um, a quite quite 
a range of symptoms yeah. for about six months before you get an ME diagnosis. And quite often prior to that, um, your GP medical advisor, whomever it is, will talk about CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. I just find that that name is very misleading for both those with ME and those with chronic fatigue because fatigue is it's only one aspect of it and it doesn't it doesn't sum up sufficiently the utter exhaustion that that people with ME or chronic fatigue syndrome or long covid actually right. are impacted by so, you know interestingly i find this interesting is that it affects millions of people Yes. And yet many clinicians uh, lack the knowledge to properly uh, properly diagnose or help people to manage ME. And why yes. is that? Is it is it because it's something relatively new, like like Lyme disease? I would love to say it's relatively new, but actually, there's um, there's suggestion that even the likes of Florence Nightingale had ME. And, you know, that's going back to the Crimean War wow. many, many moons ago. Um, so it has been around for quite some time. Spanish flu is also uh, another name that it's gone by in the past. Um, yuppie flu in the sort of 80s and 90s was the name it was given, um, which I'm sorry to say seemed to stem from the US, not not tarring the entire country there, but it seemed to come over the pond um, oh. from, from the US. And... It's something, I mean, another name it's it's been known by previously is Mother's Excuse. Um, so it was very much people disbelieved ME because there's no real diagnostic test for it. You know, it's not like you can take a blood test and say, oh, this, this is the result and this means you have ME. Um, I mean, I've had lumbar punctures for it. I've had MRI scans, blood tests, um, various tests and checks and pokes and proddings, all sorts, and everything comes back normal. And there's nothing worse than when medical results come back normal because the community don't know what to do with you at that point. So ME and uh, the likes of CFS, long COVID, can sometimes come down to a process of elimination. So Everything else has been discounted. What you're left with is ME. Mm. A long haul, right? It's it is. And yeah, I mean, you, you can begin to understand the frustration that people with ME and CFS have, given that long COVID obviously only has its name thanks to the pandemic, but it's it's been on the go for a couple of years and there appears to be money and research and support being thrown at it and yet people with the likes of ME and CFS seem to be the forgotten millions because wow. we've you know we and they've been living with this for for decades in some occasions and you know there is no financing being thrown at it there's no research being thrown at it having said that there there is a recent study that has come out that I'm absolutely thrilled about it's a study called decode me decode me um and it's launched across the uk and people are being sent uh, packages if you like and it's it's i'm just gonna say it's, it's gonna sound horrible to the listeners but you do a spit 
test. So you spit into a test tube um, and send out some paperwork, send it back, and um, researchers are looking at the results of these spit tests to see um, what this means. What can it show? What are we seeing raised markers in various areas for? So there is a bit of light at the end of that tunnel there to help with um, decoding and understanding better ME for people. So I have hope. Yay, thank goodness for hope, right? So how has mm -hmm. COVID impacted? I mean, it must really have impacted. I mean, I know it's impacted yeah. a lot of people, but, you know, people with ME, it must have really. Yes. So um, I don't know what it's been like over in, in the US for yourselves, but here in the UK, the, there's been a number of, of people with ME, people with CFS who have been classed as um, priority people for the likes of the vaccines because they are clinically vulnerable. Um, so we've, you know, we have seen people getting vaccines, which has been great. Um, unfortunately, we've also seen people that have had the vaccine also catch COVID and it having quite a knock-on to their ability to recover. So if you think, quote-unquote, a normal, well person um, can be impacted by COVID and it can knock them for six and they can really be out of whack, out of balance for, for days, weeks or even months, somebody who's already got a compromised mm -hmm. system through the likes of ME or, or chronic fatigue syndrome, um, let alone any other uh, chronic condition, they're taking even longer to bounce back to what was their normal, which is not the same as a well person's normal. So what we are anticipating and what we're beginning to see is the impact of long COVID um, is basically rising um, or increasing the numbers of people with the likes of ME um, being a, a post-viral uh, symptom um, and syndrome. So at the moment, there's an estimated 17 to 30 million people across the world that are living with ME wow. and long COVID sufferers are not currently in, included in that, that yeah. figure, but we can anticipate that figure rising due to the pandemic and due to long COVID. Wow. Now you've done a number of podcasts, right, about yeah. long-term yes. COVID and just, if you could just Again, just let people know. I mean, I know we say at the beginning of the end, but just let them know the name of your podcast yes. because it's really important, I think, for people to to check in and and keep up with this. Find out well, more. I well, I think so. I mean, just from the long COVID side of it, if nothing else, because there are so many similarities between long COVID and ME. And that's part of what my podcast, Believe in Me, with Rona Barton, yep. is um, you know trying to tackle and address. And it's one of the reasons why I've been doing a, a short mini-series for organisations as well, because people that are currently out of work, whether it's because they have ME, they have chronic fatigue, or they have long COVID, um, can't necessarily jump back into full-time employment exactly as they were pre-illness, um, they are going to need some additional help and support. So it's just the aim of, of my podcast is to try and educate people that have ME, long okay. COVID, even CFS, but also the mini series for organisations is to help 
their leaders, their HR teams, their well-being teams get a, a better understanding of what they can do to support people coming back into the workplace um, or even supporting those that maybe have to leave the workplace for a, a short period of time because they contract the likes of ME or long COVID. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It's fantastic. I mean, this is really important stuff to, to learn about. So are there different levels of ME? You know, like is the mild, moderate, severe? There, There is. And I think it's um, a, a lot of that. And I think we've spoke about this last time as I didn't appreciate how ill I was at the time. It's only now looking back that I think, yes, I was actually severely impacted. There's, there's about 25% of people with MECFS that would get classed as severely impacted. And these are people that are housebound, bedbound, you know, they they're potentially even in hospital needing tube fed, for example. Um, so seriously, seriously impacted um, every aspect of their life. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're unable to potentially wash themselves, brush their teeth. You know, they can't cook a meal. They can't sit up and have a conversation. Right. So they're severely affected um, is what we would say. And it's I'm always a bit loath to to if you like, specify, if you can do this, then you're mildly impacted. If you can do X and Y, then, you know, you're moderately impacted, whatever it happens to be, because it's different for everybody. Um, But there are people who are able to still work, but potentially have to reduce the hours that they do, or they have to take longer breaks, or they have to, for example, not travel during rush hour or only be in an office or um, a room with one other person because too much um, auditory stimulus impacts their condition itself and it can knock out their energy levels. So when people are able to work, it's fantastic. You know, we we need that um, sort of as a sense of security and financial independence is, is a big thing. Um, we touched on previously about the likes of uh, welfare benefits and and your own sense of self. Mm-hmm. And ME, CFS, long COVID can strip you of that completely. Um, so there is nothing to say that just because somebody can work when they have ME, that they are not quite affected by it because you don't know how they manage at home or if they even manage at home, perhaps all their energy is put into doing maybe four hours of work a day. And when they finally get home, that's it. They're they're in bed, darkened room. Somebody's having to feed them, wash them, clothe them, whatever it happens to be. Um, so the I'm always quite conscious of the, the face that people present to the outside world mm-hmm. is not necessarily a true reflection of them as an individual right and I'm sure you've seen that yourself with you know people that are grieving they put on a brave face you know they don't want to upset friends when they're when they're out because they're you know they've got this weight of grief that they carry with them so they're going to smile and make polite conversation and when they come home that's when that curtain drops if you like and they can dissolve into 
the the real them. Right. I think, you know, I mean, it just made me think it's really important, whatever you're going through, not to compare. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. there's there's nothing, the way I was impacted by ME doesn't make me, if you like, a better person with ME. You know, I'm better uh -huh. at being ill than somebody else. It, it doesn't work that way because my support system could very well be different to theirs. How I deal with things personally could be different to how they deal with it. So it's not a competition and it's not a I'm better than you or, you know, I'm better at being being ill, I'm better at being a martyr, you know, I'm better at, at X, Y and Z, whatever it is. It's just, it's not comparing apples with apples. It's right. comparing apples with buses. It doesn't work. Yeah. And I think also what it does is it stops us from when we do compare from being honest about yes. how we do feel. I know with grief, you know, when we compare, I forget what the saying is about the cobbler who had no shoes until they saw somebody with no feet or something. <laughs> but, you know, it's like it stops you from from feeling like you're you know, like you should say anything or your grief mm -hmm. isn't as bad as some or your illness isn't as bad as some. So, yeah. you know, comparing is not good. Is not no, good. no, no, that's the thing. And I think that's that's the thing with grief for me is I, you know, I come back to this impression I got as a child growing up that, you know, losing losing a human is so much worse than losing a pet, for example. Mm. Actually, for me, I'm closer to pets than I am to some humans. So for me, the the bigger, if you like, that's not the right word, but the more um, traumatic grief is losing the pet rather than the person because the person I've been able to talk to and I've been able um, to find out about them and, you know, been able to to share the ups and downs can't communicate that same way with a pet. I don't know if they're in pain. I don't know if they've been suffering. I don't know what I can do to make it better. I can I can say those things to a person and I can ask those questions. Mm. But certainly growing up, the impression I got was there's a hierarchy of grief. Right. And people are at the top of that hierarchy. But actually, as I've grown up and, you know, gone on with life mm -hmm. like no it's it's not that hierarchy it's not that competition you feel what you feel yes and all feelings are valid yes no matter what it's, it's normal yes mm -hmm. and it's natural yes grieve, you know mm -hmm. so I have to do a, a can I ask what are the mm -hmm. main telltale symptoms of suffering with Emmy what's like the first thing that comes up with me oh goodness now you see that's again that can be different for other people for um oh, okay. but the the main trigger if you like is yep. me is seen to it can come on after the likes of a viral infection so for me i had a viral ear infection labyrinthitis that left me dizzy and um you know unable to walk in a straight line yep. um, but I know for other people certainly there's there has been in the past a 
large proportion of people with ME that have been teenagers um, that have got glandular fever and mm -hmm. haven't fully recovered. Um, and interestingly, I knew many years ago, twins, um, a boy and a girl, and she, they both had glandular fever, but she ended up with ME and he didn't. Oh. So I find that very interesting considering, yeah. you know, that they are twins. They've had mm -hmm. the same upbringing. They've been exposed to the, the same um, environments, if you like. They both get the same condition. One recovers and one doesn't. Right. Wow. Well, you know, I look at that as you might be experiencing the same loss. You're, you know, yes. you and your sibling might experience the loss of a parent and you're both react to it, respond to it very differently. Yes. We are ourselves. You know, we're all exactly. individual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and even when people think, well, actually, twins, they're they're identical. Uh, no. No. They're still not. They're still individuals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Does it does it affect more women than men? It does. Yes. There's um, about three quarters um, of the the population of people with ME are female. Mm -hmm. Do we know why? No, I mean I have my own theories to that. There's there's certainly um, nothing documented as yet. But to to my way of thinking, it's um, and I, I guess it comes back to the phrase I used earlier about it previously being known as yuppie flu. It was always seen as you know it's something that these high flying. New York Stock Exchange type people, you know, uh -huh. busy lives, um, we, they would get. And I think from my point of view, I I think women are more susceptible because they're, if you like, they're the doers and the givers. So they do a lot around the house. They do a lot for kids. I'm not saying men don't. Uh -huh. Absolutely. There are single fathers out there that are doing everything they possibly can to you know, give their their offspring the best lives and and options that they have, um, but I think traditionally that's very much a a female dominated role, and it's the good old adage of if you want something done, give it to a busy person. They know how to prioritize. They can make these arrangements, and I think women traditionally are not good at saying no or no, thank you. That's not for me. I want to take a break. Um, yeah because we don't want to cause offence or, you know, upset somebody. Um, I think that is beginning to change just generally across society. Um, but that's that's what I think um, is the reason we have. Okay. What about, of... Do you think it can affect children? Oh, I know it can. Yes, absolutely okay. can. Yes. Wow. I know that there's the, the youngest um, that I know of that was ever diagnosed was just over six months old oh my and if God. you think back to what I said earlier about you know you have to have had this sort of symptoms for six months before they'll give you a diagnosis that is you know just over six months old and a child was diagnosed with ME wow fascinating is ME associated with um fibromyalgia um, they they can be they're again two separate conditions but um you tend to find that people with ME, with chronic fatigue, will usually have a, a kind of a second 
condition in some way, shape or form, this core morbidities that we talk about. So fibromyalgia is a big one and it's very painful as well. Um, So for me, I had ME, endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. So, you know, it's just lots of lots of fun lots of pain lots of exhaustion you know as you do um so yes there's usually more than than just it seems like such a throwaway term than just me going on um there's a lot for the the body to be trying to tolerate and deal with it's fa- it's a fascinating i mean there's so much involved it's not yeah just a it's very complex diet. yes mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we had spoken briefly last, uh, actually, we spoke about it afterwards, but you told me there's like, there's a self-help guide for young sufferers from ME and their families. Um, And in it, you mentioned something called drags, which is kind of like the stages of ME, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's, kind of like stages of of loss and grief if you like so the the book that i'm referring to is called somebody help me me okay. and um, it's by a, a lovely lady called jill moss now i used to be on a, a young person's board helping to to run a charity called the association of young people with me that's mm-hmm. now been um, absorbed into action for me over here in the uk yep. um, and jill started that original charity um as i say she's she's fabby and um she she wrote this book a self-help guide for young sufferers um who and their families you know who are currently living with myalgic encephalomyelitis and in her book she talks about a forest of emotions and specifically those emotions being drags, D-R-A-G-S. So that is denial, mm-hmm. return, anger, guilt and shock. And it's one of those where she's, because the book is written for young people with ME, there's not a lot of fancy, complex language in it. It's, it's very easy to digest small bite-sized manageable chunks which is what people with ME love because of concentration span Um, but Jill has interspersed all of the chapters in here with quotes from young people with ME and how you know Mm -hmm. how it's impacted them and how they kind of found their way through this forest of emotions Um, you know and I think I think it's safe to say that whatever loss whatever hits us there is definitely shock involved in that and whether it's for the briefest of moments or a long period of time there is definitely denial like this no this can't be happening this isn't right this you know this doesn't happen to me or this doesn't happen to people like us this is you know it no I don't know what to do with this information um and the book helps to to address some of those emotions and you know hints and tips if you like on how to cope with it how to discuss it how to talk about it um because I think even in you know in the work that you do yourself Diane I'm sure you come across people that are that are in denial and that are angry whether it's at themselves or perhaps at at the person who's passed away um you know they're in shock they want things just to go back to normal you know let's just return to the way we were before we heard this news 
you just know that's not going to happen. Um, and then, you know, it's how do we move on from this? How do we deal with this? How do we get through it? People talk for grief about the five stages of grief. And um, that book actually was written for somebody who was living with terminal illness. Okay. So there is, you know, there we have denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance, um, you know. And of course, we do get you can have all or nothing, you know, of those emotions. But unfortunately, I think it's just confusing for uh, a griever to be given this book and say, mm. hey, you know, read this book because um, for some people it stops them from grieving because they feel if they're not going through these stages or experiencing mm. any of these emotions, then they're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, the you know, there's not a way to grieve is there there's oh. not a, a rule book to no. follow as as such you know it's not it's not a straight line no your grief is your own and mm -hmm. you will move through it in your own way mm -hmm. you know there's no step-by-step -step process yeah and so you know it, you know I mean I think like I say we do you might experience I know I experienced anger you know, I know I experienced, I think most of us get depressed. It's normal to get a little bit depressed. I mean, unless you've been clinically depressed before you, you know, lose a loved one or a pet, you know. Um, I mean, it's na it's natural to feel depressed after a loss, but you just don't want to stay in long periods of isolation because that can cause heavy depression. Mm -hmm. And I always find acceptance is an odd one. Um, it's it's a bit confusing because if you're not in denial about what's happened, then you must have accepted it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be grieving. So, you know, again, I you know, grief is emotional. It's not intellectual. Yeah. And, and I think it, it sneaks up on you at different times. Yes. Well, so, I mean, I would I would love to say that, yes, step one is denial. And, you know, good news is that's only going to last a week. Right. Because you'll move on from that, no problem. But actually, it's, it doesn't work that way. No. It's, it's messy. I mean, I, I knew I wasn't in denial about my ME or how it was impacting me and, and in an odd way, I was fortunate that my mum had had ME um, years before me. Mm -hmm. So I, I understood a bit about what it meant and the impact it would have on me. Um, I didn't know how, because I've got to do things by extremes, Diane, apparently. I can't I can't just, you know, do it, do it a little bit. It's all or nothing. <laughs> all or nothing. Um, so, I, you know, I went all in. That was me. Um, so I didn't know how much it would impact me mm -hmm. but I wasn't in denial I knew what ME was and you know I knew that it wouldn't just impact me it would impact other people around me as well um, but that didn't stop it kind of sneaking up and coming back right again. so I mean I'd I'd had I I had accepted yes okay this is this is I've got ME what is the plan I need to put in place now you know, because it's 
I know we we spoke about this before we started recording the podcast, but I do like to be in control of things. <laughs> so as long as I've got a plan of action that I can follow, I am good to go. So yeah. I just, as far as my brain was concerned, you just need a plan and then it'll be fine. But actually part of that plan was knowing that I'm not in control. This is, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't a logical, my brain is making this happen. This is my body's got control over itself and I just have to kind of go with the flow, which yeah. is not something that I am necessarily good at. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't too concerned, if you like, about the fact that I hadn't had any denial because because I knew about it. Um, and then my older brother, very kindly, um, borrowed a tandem bike from a friend of his and popped me on the back of it, strapped my legs in. Um, all I had to do was try and stay on the seat. Um, and we went for, for a short cycle around the block, which was, that was lovely, out with my big brother. I hadn't done that for ages. Um, but it was, you know, when I sort of later, not even necessarily that day, because that short trip was enough to to knock me out for a couple of days. But thinking back on it, I was like, this, this is another thing I'm missing out on. Why can't I just jump on a bike again with them? Why can't we, you know, I mean, that that was great. I had some fresh air. I got time with my big brother, who, regardless of how we were growing up, I do actually like as a person. So, you know, I was happy to spend time with him. Um, but then, you know, I was hearing about cycles that he was away on and friends he was out with. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, actually, I can't do that. I forgot I've got ME. Mm. I was, you know, my brain kind of went, oh, yeah, we can just we can just do that. No, no, you can't. And suddenly that I was denying myself the ability to do normal, quote unquote, normal um, things like go for a cycle. And that hit me. Because I was like, oh, yeah, you can't you can't do that when you want to do it. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to plan this and you're not going to be able to go away for an hour with them and actually you won't even be able to get yourself on a bike because your legs don't work Rona you're in a wheelchair how are you going to do this think think it through you know so there was moments small moments that you think well that's nothing but actually when you've just got your head to live inside all of this is you know turning over time and again and it's exhausting it's exhausting having to deal with your thoughts and your feelings and not have a way to to express them you know if you are angry you can't go and just run it off until it's out of your system it's just in you did you because... write did did i ask you last did you journal did we talk about this at all? <laughs> <laughs> we we did mention journaling last time because i made a purchase of your giving grief a voice Thank journal you so much but did you do it when you were you did didn't you i mean was that a way to express yourself yeah so i did some of it um but it, i didn't i didn't do it as often like looking back now i would have liked to have, have made more of a conscious effort um but again it was fine motor skills for me so holding a pen to try and write would wow. leave me yeah. uh, my arm in extreme pain I love um, cross-stitch sewing and I could maybe only do six stitches at a time before I would be in pain. 
um, and I couldn't concentrate on the pattern I was doing and you know wow it just it knocked on to everything so um, I would have liked to have been able to do more and bearing in mind at the time we didn't have smartphones and you know mm-hmm. voice recorders weren't just automatically available these were things that were in in organizations you know offices right. so they, they were expensive purchases um they weren't something that you know joe blogs off the street could just purchase um because that might have been an easier way for me at the time to do to deal with it would just be to to talk a little into the likes of a voice recorder yeah Um, so was it a process of elimination for you as to how for things that you could do to help express yourself yes and I think part part of my problem oh I've got so many um (laughs) is a long list Diane a long list but part part of the part of the reason why I'm going through your journal now Mm -hmm. it's because I don't believe that I kind of dealt with everything at the time. You you know, I didn't have all the resources that are now available. Right. And, you know, so in, in reading through your Giving Grief a Voice journal and looking at these questions and I'm thinking, well, here's one. I feel extremely trigger, triggered when I, well, actually, I feel extremely triggered when somebody asks me why I feel extremely triggered. <laughs> there's part of me that that is struggling to consider the prompts that you've given because well why why Rona why is that a struggle because I would like to say because I'm over it now but actually I I don't believe I am I just don't necessarily know if I'm comfortable putting it down in writing yet and I think we talked about this last time too is is because it's something that we're just not comfortable in general mm. as a society talking about our feelings and I think and yet practice it's, is needed. yeah and mm. that's why for you journaling now regardless and not judging what you're writing or it just let it flow you know what does trigger me what just be honest with yourself Mm -hmm. because I think the more that we can do it the more you know we want to get it out we don't want to keep it stuck in our bodies it's energy all of this pent-up energy we want to get it out and so my suggestion to you would be just do it just write something whatever let it come I need to Put on my big girl pants, Diane, and just do it. There you go. Like Nike say, right? (laughs) Oh, we're not advertising for them. They're not paying us. They're not sponsoring us. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. No, it's not easy, Rona, but I think it is something that we need to all learn to Mm. do. We really Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely um, beneficial to people. And I, I speak to people about this. <laughs> you know, I offer the same advice. Uh-huh. You know, get it get it out somehow so that you know what yes. what you're facing, you know what you're dealing with. You know, right. if you don't if you don't name it, it's like this thing that is just following you around. Whereas, you know, if you if you can name it and you can describe it and you can um put whatever label you want on it, it, yes. it lessens the scariness. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's facing our fears, you know. Yes. And letting oh. yourself be vulnerable enough yes. to just put it out there. 
Yes. Yes. So I expect next time I talk to you, I want you to show me. Mm -hmm. You're giving me homework now, Diane. Yes, yes. <laughs> journal needs to be finished by the <laughs> all of all your oh my thoughts. Goodness. No pressure. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been great, Rona. It's always a pleasure to have a blether with you. And, you know, just catch up and see how everything is going. And, you know, I always love your humor and your feet. You're full of so much information and your feedback is great. So I really you. appreciate you being with us again today to have a blether. And hopefully we'll get to blether again in the not. I certainly hope so. And now I know that you're most recent podcast is a guided meditation it is so i haven't listened to that yet because it's been throughout the day for for me here it's it's currently evening where i am so i'm going to take the opportunity since i'm not operating heavy machinery Excellent. and i don't need to think of anything major <laughs> that when i settle down this evening i'm going to take the opportunity to play that and see what comes up for me well thank you enjoy it Thank you. Let me certainly intend to. Okay. And again, a big thank you for being on the podcast with us this week. And no um, we will blether again in the not too distant future. Absolutely. You take care of yourself, Diane. You too. Thanks, Rona. Okay, you lovely people. That is it for this week's podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it and that it was helpful for you. And I just want to say that you can find Rona on a website at www.ronabarton.co.uk. And again, Rona's um, podcast is called Believe in Me with Rona Barton, M-E, me. Um, and if you'd like to find out more about my programs and services, then please visit my website, givegriefachance.com. There you can drop me an email, you can ask a question or you can share your story via voice message and I'll be happy to play it on the podcast. And remember to check out my journals, which you can find on Amazon. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate it, like it and share it. And if you feel like it, come and join me on Instagram at Give Grief a Chance Coach. And last but not least, I'd like to invite any women who might be struggling with their grief to come and join us in a safe and nurturing group on Facebook. It's called Life After Loss with Diane Morgan. And I would be honoured if you would come and join us and give your grief a voice. Okay, my friends, take good care and have a wonderful week.